Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The holidays can be stressful, and it's important for us to consider not what we give this Christmas, but who we are this Christmas. This message continues Pastor Chad Gilligan's series called Christmas Presents. Like this is the last Sunday of 2015. Is anybody else dumbfounded by that? Like I just stopped writing 2014 two weeks ago, I think. <laughs> right now I gotta start all over, get this right. And so this is our last Sunday, 2015. And it's a good chance for us to, to consider what the year ahead means. Now, I know for some people, New Year's is a big deal. You make the resolutions, you do all those kind of decisions. This is what's going to change. And it helps you. It lasts for three, four days. It's a great thing. <laughs> to do for others of us it's just it's just another day but i think it's always a good chance for us to say okay what what do i want out of the year ahead let me pause for a moment let me do some some self-evaluation and so today i want to i want to ask you some questions and talk for a few moments about how do we have not just another new year because it's easy for us to just let this be another new year, just a, another change, another difference in the calendar and not really allow it to change us. For some of you, this is just another new year. You're, you're gonna go into 2016 and it'll be like 2015. For others of you, I know this by, by talking with you, you've got big things ahead. Your life is at a crossroads. There's major things that are taking place. Wherever you land, I think there's real power in asking questions. You know, for sometimes for me, I can think I'm in a pretty good spot. I can think life's on track. I can think we're doing something well. And then somebody will ask a question or I'll read something where there's questions that are posed. Now, all of a sudden, it's different because once I go from just what I think I know to doing some self-evaluation to looking inside and going, okay, really, though, what's this really like in my life? There's something powerful that happens. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter five today. We're wrapping up this little series we've been doing called Christmas Presents, where we've been talking not just about what we give, but about how we live. And uh, we're gonna do this kind of with a message for the new year. Next week, we're gonna continue to be in Ephesians four and five. And we've been looking at, as you know, just the practical implications of the gospel. Paul took the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and talked to us about what we believe. Now in the last three chapters, he's talking to us about how we live. And we're going to look at, starting in in January, uh, for for several weeks, what we're just gonna call really creatively titled series. You ready for this? This next series of messages we're just calling Real Life stuff because you know what we're going to talk about just some real life stuff we're going to talk about our words we're going to talk about how we interact with others we are going to talk about how do we find wisdom how do you find the will of god we're going to talk about sexual morality we're going to talk about just some stuff that's just real life stuff because that's what paul digs into as we get into these chapters in ephesians chapter 4 chapter 5 we're going to continue to look at that but today i want to ask you some questions that hopefully will help it to not just be another new year ephesians chapter 5 Verses one and two, here's what Paul writes. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me read it to you from the message version because I think it breaks it down a little bit more for us, helps us to apply it. Paul says, watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. 
Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us, love like that. So there's real power in asking yourself a question. So I'm gonna ask three questions today. Now, I know this. I know that for some of us, all three of these questions might apply. For for many of us, there might just be one that kind of hits right where you're at. But I'm hoping that for every one of us, there's something that God speaks to our heart about. We're going to look internally at our own lives, and then we're going to look externally at about how how we live. Then we're going to talk eternally about how life matters. We're going to look at it in that way. Three questions for you to ask yourself in 2016, based out of these verses we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 5. Three questions to ask yourself in 2016. Here's the first question. Question number one, am I following God's example? Number one, am I following God? God's example. How did Paul begin those verses? He said, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So my question for you to ask yourself is this, am I following God's example, the example that God has given to me? Now that word example is kind of interesting because it's the same word that you could maybe, in in the Greek, you could translate into words like imitation or model or copy. And oftentimes when we think of words like imitation or copy, we think of something that is, that is cheap or that's a, that's a knockoff. You know, if you go to like a major city somewhere and you walk the streets, you, you, you ever seen those places where you could buy like a, a fake Rolex or a fancy purse that's not real? It looks real. You can, you can buy that $10 watch that looks like a $10,000 watch and try to impress all your friends. It looks really good. It just doesn't keep time, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's a fake It's made to look like it, but it's a knockoff. It's not real. And we oftentimes, when we think of imitation or we think of copy, we think of something that is is cheap, that doesn't have the same value. That's not the idea behind this word. The idea behind this word is this, that an imitation or a copy is something of great value. It's when you take something that is an original that's of great value, and then you try to the best that you can to make a valued replica of it something that looks like it, something that works like it, something that acts like it. Not a cheap knockoff that doesn't have the same value, but something that ascribes to have the same value that the other thing had, that the the valuable, the original has. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, look, God should be your example. You should strive to be more like him. You should strive to live like him. You should strive to to follow in his steps, scripture says. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this, "To to this you were called, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Even in your sufferings, even in your trials, the example that Christ has set out there is something that you should be striving to live like, even in your hard times. The question is, do you find yourself becoming more like Jesus in your life? Are you following God's example. Now, I talk to people all the time, and they, I think because I'm a pastor, they want to say to me, oh, pastor, I'm growing in my faith. I'm, I'm growing in my faith. I'm, I'm really, that's the word people like to use, I'm really growing in my faith. But here's the gauge, here's the question for you. If I do not find myself becoming more like Jesus, then I'm fooling myself if I think I'm growing in my faith. If I do not find myself becoming more like Jesus, that's the, that's the goal, right? That's what's out there in front of us. Scripture says this over and over again. If I'm not becoming more like him, then I'm only fooling myself if I think I'm growing in my faith. The goal is to be more like Jesus. The fruit is to be more like Jesus. I should see myself, I should catch myself being more like him. 
I was in a meeting a couple weeks ago, and I had my, my iPad out in front of me, and it was on a, like a little, little stand, so it was kind of angled back up at me, and it had shut itself down, gone to sleep. I hadn't used it in a while, and so it was just this, this dark screen. And in the middle of the meeting, I kind of glanced down for a moment, and because the screen was just this, this dark glass, I caught my reflection in the, the, the glass on my iPad, and I looked down, and I saw myself there, and the first thought that just crossed my mind was, man, do you look like your dad? Have you ever had those moments? Now, for me, that was a good thing. One, my dad was a great guy, too. He was stunningly handsome. And so when I looked, it was like, oh, man, you, you look like your dad. But there's that moment where you just kind of catch and go, wow. I, I guess I hadn't really seen that before. I hope that you have these moments where you just catch a glimpse of yourself and you go, man, I look like my heavenly father. That looks more like Jesus. I like how I'm progressing. So let's, let's look at a couple of those words that that, that that idea of example plays into, this idea of a copy and this idea of an imitation. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about what it means if that's going to happen in our lives. Because for some of you, you're sitting there going, boy, that is something that I want in the year ahead. I want to be more like Jesus. This is the internal question, the question of who are you becoming? What's happening inside of you? And you may say, boy, I want to be more like Jesus. What's that look like? Well, if I'm going to be a copy of him, a valued replica, then that means to copy requires closeness. You can't copy unless you're close enough to see what it is that you're copying. If you, if you are a sculptor and you want to make something that looks like another great piece of art, you're going to have to get close enough to that thing to sculpt it, to see the detail, to see what it's like if you're going to make it look like that. You have to get close to something if you're going to copy it. If you're going to paint something, if you're going to learn to, to play a song, you have to get close enough to that thing that you hear it, that you feel it, that you see it, so that you can then reproduce that. To copy requires closeness. It affects who you are and what you do, and if you're not close enough, then you can't make a replica of that. So the question that we have to ask is then, how are you getting closer to Jesus? If you're going to follow his example... If you want your life to look more and more like him, then that means you have to be close to him. This is so significant. It means that you're going to have to somehow spend time in his presence. And it comes down to two things that are just so very basic that we talk about a lot, but there's probably no better time for us to consider it. It means that you are going to have to spend time in prayer and spend time in God's word, that you need to spend time talking to God. And I don't mean just at a meal and just in a traffic jam. Not just in those times when you need something, but when you also set up enough time that you're going to hear something back from him, that you spend time in prayer and that you put yourself in a place where there's actual communication that's happening. And one of the keys to that is not just having that time, but then also being in God's word. I can't know God unless I hear from him. So I have to be close enough to spend some time in his word. Really, I don't think there is any better time than the first of the year to say, okay, God, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend some time in your word. And for some of you, you may already have some kind of pattern. Maybe you use like a one-year Bible program where you read through the Bible in a year or you've got devotional tools that you use. For some of you, you might not have anything that you use. You know, we often encourage people to use the, the Bible app. If you have a smartphone or a tablet and you just search for the Bible app, there's one that comes up. It's, it's called the Bible or you version. You'll sometimes hear it called. And that's where we put our sermon notes each week. You can find those there. One of the other things that they have there is all kinds of Bible reading plans whether you want something that's going to last you the whole year or maybe just for five days, it's kind of based on a theme. 
It's a great way for you to put yourself in a place where you can start reading scripture on a regular basis and you, you carve out that time. It might be five minutes, it might be 30 minutes, whatever it is that, that you're able to begin with in your life and use that as a routine. And here's this amazing thing. When you spend time in God's word, it changes you. Does anybody else agree? I mean, there's just something about it. And I can, I can get busy. I can find excuses. I can find ways where I push that aside. And every time that I open myself up to God's word, I just come back and I go, man, God, your word is living. It is alive. It is active in my life. And if I'll let it, it will change me. Here's one other just kind of helpful thing. So many times what happens is people go, I am going to read through the Bible this year. It is going to change my life. And then they get to Genesis chapter 7 and they miss a day. And they're like, oh, man, I've failed. I'm done. Might as well throw my Bible away. I mean, people are like that, right? Don't throw your Bible away, by the way. Here's what you do. If you miss a day, pick it back up the next day. Even if you, you don't read all the way through, God is more concerned about allowing his word to speak to you today than he is giving you a badge when you get to heaven that says you read through the Bible. Amen? So be in his word. Allow it to touch you because if you're going to copy him, it requires closeness. Here's the second thing, though, and I think this goes a little bit deeper because I know people, and, and this may be a little critical on my part, I know people who read through the Bible. They read on a regular basis. They read scripture every day because it's what they do and they've been doing it for year after year after year. This is that commitment. But then they don't let it change them. They read it. They check off the pages. But they don't allow it to change their life. It's, it's one thing to have the closeness. It's another for it to affect you in some way. So if you're going to copy, you need closeness. But to imitate requires intimacy. To imitate requires intimacy. It takes something else if you're going to allow that to change. So to copy requires closeness, and to imitate requires intimacy. I think that's why Paul says that we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children, not as a slave, not as someone who's obligated to, but to follow his example as dearly loved children because there's something powerful about that relationship that a parent has with the child. It's a more intimate relationship. Um, we have three kids, Rhonda and I. Um, our oldest is 20, and then our daughter's 17, and our other son is, is 15, and they used to be wonderful kids. And then... <laughs> And then something happened. When they became teenagers, I became the target of many of their jokes. Like there's these times when they just want to point out all the things that aren't perfect about me. And you're surprised there are some things. And there's these things that just aren't perfect. We were having dinner not too long ago. We're sitting around the, the table and they begin to just kind of poke fun at me for the way that I say certain words. Like, you don't use this word the right way, Dad, or you don't say that word the right way. And this evil spirit comes over Rhonda, and she starts chiming in on this dialogue, right? And they're like, they're like say this word. <laughs> say that word. <laughs> you say it funny. <laughs> you say that. And they're doing this while we're sitting at dinner. And all of a sudden, I just kind of sat back in my chair, and I said, can I help you guys with something? You're making fun of the way I say things, but I say things that pay the bills around here. So you might want to watch yourself, <laughs> Right? Yeah, thank you for your support. <laughs> but here's the deal. How do they know to pick on me in that way? Because they're the closest ones to me. They know me in a way different than most people do. They see my quirks. They know my weirdness. I know they know it because they point it out to me all the time. 
But it's because there's an intimacy in that relationship that's different. Here's the best part. The best part is now that as my kids are growing, I see the same quirks and weirdness in them, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Why? Because they're close. You see this sometimes when a little kid wants to dress like their parents. When the little boy wants to dress like his dad. Why? Because he sees something there and he says, that's what I want to be like. Because they forced him to? No, because there was something inside of him that said, I want to be like that because I know that. See, it's one thing for you to just know God's word. It's another for you to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and watch this. He has to change you. If you want to imitate him, you have to be intimate enough with God to say, God, I'm going to open myself up to you and to your spirit so you can change me on the inside. It's not just that idea of proximity and closeness, but the reality of will you let the Holy Spirit change your life? Because until you see things differently, until you begin to see things in God's way for your life, then really you're you're not following his example or getting closer to him. We we went over to my mom's after uh, services on Christmas Eve the other night and um, my daughter comes out of the one room and she says, there's this, grandma's got this goofy plaque that's hanging in there. She says, there's this goofy picture of you in some kind of poem you wrote. And I was thinking, I'll tell you what's goofy. That's not goofy. <laughs> made that for my mom in the second grade. And it had this little, we all made it like in our class and it had a little poem that we wrote. And it says, for as long as I live, I shall always be myself and no other, just me. <laughs> right? It's in there. And then... Then there's this picture of me that's on there. I was in the second grade. And for whatever reason, I always have loved that picture because it's one of the first pictures that I have of me rocking my new glasses. I got glasses when I was in the second grade. Interesting story. Mrs. Beale came up to me one day and she says, Chad, I notice that you're not doing so well in math. She says, I have a thought. Why don't you, I was you know, four or five rows back in the classroom. She says, why don't you move up closer to the board? thought, oh, I must be in trouble or something. I moved up closer to the board, and all of a sudden, my grades started getting better in math. Because from a distance, when I would copy down math problems, this was back kids before we had screens. We had, to, we had these black boards that we'd have to write things. It's, it's a novel idea. And I, I would look up, and a six and an eight would look alike, right? Sevens and nines would look alike. I got closer, and I was like, oh, I can see the difference now. I can see there's something different. She says, I think maybe you should go to the eye doctor. Here, I needed glasses. So it was this interesting thing that had to happen. There were two things that the teacher made sure happen. One was, for me to be able to move forward, she says, you've got to get closer. If you're going to advance, if you're going to grow in this, you've got to get closer, but then you also need to get to a place where you see things differently. Something needs to change. So I got a different seat, and I got glasses, and all of a sudden, things were different for me. For some of you, if you're going to follow God's example, it's the same process. You need to get closer to him, and you need to start seeing things in his way. And when you do, it'll make a world of difference in your life. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. But if you think you're growing in your faith, but you're not seeing yourself more like him, it could be that you're fooling yourself. It's time for you to ask yourself the question, am I following God's example? First question, kind of an internal question. Question of, Becoming, Who am I becoming? Am I following God's example? Here's a second question for us to consider. Number two, am I acting in love? Question number two, am I acting in love? Paul really puts the spotlight on us here. 
Because first he says, are you following God's example? Then he applies it to us. He says, if you are, it'll look like this. Ephesians chapter five, verse two, he says this. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See what he said here? He said, if you are following God's example, then you will love like Jesus did. If you're really becoming more like him, then the evidence will be that you will love like Jesus did. Now we've gone from an internal question of belonging to an external question of what is it that you're doing? How are you living your life? And this is that question, am I acting in love? And a lot of us say, well, I'm, a, I'm a nice person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I treat other people, right? But here's the question that I think we need to consider. If I am not consistently acting in love towards others, then my actions have room for improvement. See, a lot of times, I don't think we, we give ourselves that room for improvement. Ah, I'm okay here. It's all right there. But let's think about this. If I'm not consistently acting in love towards others, then my actions have room for improvement. You know, the last two weeks, we've had some really interesting Christmas messages because nothing says happy holidays like anger and bitterness. Amen? <laughs> I mean, we looked at those things. And I, I just kind of, I felt that it was very important that that's what the Lord wanted us to talk about the last two weeks, anger and bitterness going into the Christmas season. I was, I was overwhelmed by the responses that I've gotten from people that have said how God's word helped them going into that season. So this is real life stuff, folks. How do we interact with other people? How, how do we um, deal with the issues that come up in our personal relationships? And Paul says, look, if you're becoming more like Jesus, that means that you will act in love. So the question is, am I acting in love? So how do we gauge that? I think there's, there's, there's three ways for us to consider. And as we talk about this, understand this. We're talking about the random people that you're going to interact with, people you really don't know or just strangers. And we're also talking about the person that you look at all the time at home. How do you show love to these people? Well, one of the things he tells us about in this verse is that love is expressed actively. Love is expressed actively. It's not just something that's in my head. It's not just something that, oh, it's in my heart. I love them. I feel love towards them. But are you showing that? I mean, we've talked about this even just recently. Do I respond with love? Because love is expressed actively. Here's how John said it. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The Chad Gilligan version of that is talk is cheap. Love is something you show. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and with truth. And here's why. Because what you do defines who you are. We talked about this last week with bitterness, but the same thing's true here. If you want to be a loving person, then that means that when you respond to others, you need to actively respond with love. The words that Paul uses here, he says, you need to walk in the way of love. That means live it out. That means do it. That means show it. Not just talk about it, but express it. Love is a choice, and I have to choose to express it actively to other people. And I think that's key. Is it important that sometimes you show love to someone even if you don't feel like it? Sometimes you have to choose to do it. Have you ever worked with anyone or, or been around anyone? Let's just put it in the work context. Have you ever worked with anyone that, I think the, uh, the biblical Greek word is they're, they're a jerk. Have you ever heard that, that Greek term? <laughs> Man, I remember when I was in college, there's a couple people that just, for whatever reason, I just, I just, didn't, I just didn't like them. I didn't connect with them. I just, there was two, two people in particular. One, they were so cluelessly full of themselves. 
that just to be around them just drained the life right out of me. Like I did everything I could to just dodge them if I could. And then there's some people are smiling like, I know them. And then there's, there was this other guy that was just so arrogant, full of himself. And all he wanted to do was just kind of bicker and argue all the time. And I just, I just, didn't, I just didn't want to be around them. And the beauty of it was, I think they thought the same way about me. But we had to work closely with each other. So there was this, this tension. And I remember just thinking, I cannot let this get the best of me. I'll be nice to them. I'll respect them. I'll be civil towards them. But there was, this, there was this weird thing, and I don't know if you can get this or if I'm just going through therapy talking to myself here for a moment. Either way, help me out here. It's just There was this thing that when I would be nice to them, when I would be civil to them, when I would try to respect them, all the while I was doing it saying how great I was. You know, you're such a jerk, so I'll be nice to you because I'm better than you are. I'll treat you right because I really don't like you. And there was this thought process that wasn't at all um, humble on my part. It was, it was actually just reinforcing more and more the bad feelings that I had towards them. And at some point, I had to really confront my own self and say, the last thing I'm truly doing is loving this person. And when I began to respond, not out of just what felt right or not just out of what I thought was good because I was better than them, but when I actually did what scripture said and I actively showed love to that person by putting my own self aside and loving that person in the way that Jesus would have loved them, that not only changed the relationship, but just to be honest, it set me free. It wasn't about them, it was about me. I had to actively choose to set myself aside and to love them, not just with words or speech, because talk is cheap, but to love them with actions and in the truth. Does that make sense? So at some point, I have to choose to actively express love. And this is where it gets even more tricky, because what's he say? He says, love like Jesus did, which means this, that love is offered unconditionally. It's not just expressed actively, but it's offered unconditionally. I'm going to love you in spite of who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's not because you've earned this love, but because Christ just gives it. 1 John 419 has been a key verse for us as we have reached out to love the 419. 1 John 419 says this, we love because he first loved us. We don't love because somebody else is worth it. We don't love because someone else deserved it. We love because God loved us first. Love is not given because of a person's actions, but because of God's actions. We love because of what he did for us. So that means we love someone who's different from us, from a different status, different gender, different race, people that are strangers. We love them not because they're worthy of it or because they've earned it, but because that love is unconditional. And actually, that, that part's not the hardest part, I think, for a lot of us. For a lot of us, yeah, we can justify it. We can say, man, I'm gonna reach out to the unloving. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give love to those who, who haven't earned it, who haven't deserved it, who, who don't need it. The hardest part for us sometimes is to love those who are the closest to us. I can tell you this. In years as a pastor, the most unloving things that I've seen other people do have been to the people they should love the most. I've seen some husbands and wives treat each other in ways that are just inexcusable. I've seen people interact with others, even in a church setting, and do anything but show love. 
And then we find ways to excuse it. Well, have you seen the way they treated me? Do you know what they said to her? Do you know how it was like in this situation? And Jesus didn't love in that way. Santa keeps a naughty and nice list. Does God? No. It's unconditional. He expresses love to us in a way, not because we've earned it, but because because he's love. And because he's love, then we give love to others. Love is expressed actively. It is offered unconditionally. And here's another thing that it says. It says in that verse that he loved us and gave himself up for us. Love is given sacrificially. Love is given sacrificially. If it hasn't hurt you in some way, if there's not been a little bit of risk in it, then maybe it's not love because love will cost you something. I was interacting with somebody after the last service and they showed me a a ring that was given to them over Christmas. Beautiful, beautiful. It was not cheap. It was such a tangible expression of love from one person to another. You know why? Because it cost them something. It had great value. Love is not cheap. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt in some way. It might even mean you're vulnerable. It means you set something of your own aside to give it. Love will cost you something. It's that moment when you say, I would gladly give up something I want so someone I love could have something that I want them to have, something they need, something I can give. You know, the truth is, I, I can remember um, when I first got married, when we had our kids, these moments where I was willing to just, and I remember the, the very first time as a dad where I was just willing to just put everything that I wanted aside because of this kid that I loved so much. Does anybody, can anybody relate to that? It's like this, this feeling, you can't express it, but it's just this love that's there, and it's sacrificial. Look, there was nothing that I would not do, that I would not set aside, that I would not give to be able to bless or to give to someone else. And I remember those moments, and as I was thinking about this, and as I remembering that, the question that came to my mind was, are you still like that, Chad? It's none of your business what the answer to that question is. But how about you? Are, are you willing, based on love, to set your own self aside? Love is active, it is unconditional, it is sacrificial. And so the question that I think is good for some of us to ask as we go into a new year is are you acting in love? Are you loving like Jesus did? Okay, three questions good for us to consider. The first is, am I following God's example? The second one, am I acting in love? Let me give you a third question, one last one for us to consider. Because Paul, in this passage, if you watch it, he takes it from internal to who we are becoming, an example of God, to uh, external, to am I living in love? And then he takes it to this question that's very eternal. He now talks about the purpose, why we do what we do. And he uses this phrase there, Ephesians chapter five, verse two. Look at what he says again at the end of this verse. He says, we are to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, watch, 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The point is this here, that what Jesus did and what we are to do is to see our lives not as our own, but something that is used as an offering, as a sacrifice that is given to God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves with this in mind, number three, am I living for God? Am I living for God? Is my life a sacrifice and an offering to him? Oftentimes, we think of the word sacrifice in the sense of the Old Testament, where that we have to sacrifice for our sins. But that's not what the New Testament is talking about. It's not a sacrifice for sin, but a sacrifice of self. God, I'll give you myself. I'll give you everything I have. My life belongs to you. This is a question of purpose. Am I living for God? For many of us, that's a moment where, especially before we go into this new year, it's good for us to stop and think about this. What's the purpose of my life? What's what's behind this? The things that I do before I get up tomorrow morning and I go back to work, before school starts up at the first of the year, before I get involved in something, why am I even doing this? Am I living for God? Is my life truly an offering and a sacrifice because if it's not then something needs to be reconsidered if i'm living my life for my own purposes then my life is in need of a realignment if i'm living my life for my own purposes then my life is in need of a realignment have you ever had anything that just wasn't aligned the right way maybe maybe it was your car maybe it was your back and you just know that when it's not right it's wrong right Things just aren't the way that they should be. And until you get that fixed, it affects your functionality, it affects your health, it affects your strength. Everything is off until it gets realigned. And if I'm living my life for my own purposes, then my life is in need of a realignment. Here's why. Because my life is to be an offering and sacrifice to God. It is not my own. It is a gift that's given to me from him and he wants it to be this fragrant offering does God look at my life and go man that's what I wanted the picture there is one of the the sacrifice and how God is pleased by the aroma of it you see that throughout the old testament does your life smell good to God some of you you're wondering does your life smell good to the person sitting next to you that's a whole different question does your life smell good to God is he pleased with it does your life belong to him are you living for him two two statements that i think are important for us to wrestle with here the first i live my life to fulfill god's purpose i live my life to fulfill god's purpose i know that's a statement of truth but for you is that a declaration of fact the things that you do how you live your life the place where he's called you to work or to go to school or to to make a difference? Are you living it there to fulfill his purpose and not your own? Just a couple of scriptures to think about. Titus chapter two, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he's who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Are you eager to do what is good? Do you view your life as fulfilling his purpose? Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. It's critical to ask this question. Why am I doing this? What am I doing here? As I go to school, as I go to work, what's my purpose in my family? What am I supposed to be accomplishing? And God, am I doing what you've called me to do? And I think the reason why it's good for us to stress this for a moment, because very easily we can find ourselves very busy, very active, even effective in what we think we're doing and realize that there's something more God wants us to do and we've been doing the right work. We've just been doing it in the wrong way. Several, several weeks ago, um, I was helping Rhonda with some stuff here around the church and she had been using some things and, and she was cleaning up and I said, hey, can I help you? And she said, yeah, will you take this box and take it too? And she told me where to take it. However, I wasn't listening that well but I'm happy to help, and she gave it to me, and I'm like, I know exactly where that goes. That's not a big deal. I'll take it. Well, if you're, if you're not familiar with our, our building, when you, go, when you go upstairs on either end of, of the building, you know, we've got the atrium in the middle, and you can go upstairs, and there's that bridge that goes across on either end. We've got some areas for storage. And so I took the box, and I carried it up the stairs. That was really good. And then I went to the north instead of the south because I didn't listen to where she told me to do it. I was a great husband. I was very helpful. I took that box, and I walked with it, and I went, and I put it where I thought it went. And then not too long later, we were having a little conversation and I realized it was the wrong place because I just wasn't listening. I wasn't really paying attention. I did what I thought I was gonna do, but I walked totally in the wrong direction and actually I walked quite a ways out of my way. I did a whole lot more than I needed to do, but the whole thing I did was just a waste because even though I thought I was doing right, what I actually was doing was something that had no value. And some of you, just need a, a moment to stop and go, God, am I putting things in the right place? God, am I doing the right things? It's not that I'm fighting. It, it's not that I'm rebellious. I'm trying to help, but maybe I haven't paid enough attention, God, to be doing the thing that you really want me to do. I'm in the right place. I'm just not active enough. I'm not aware enough. I'm not asking enough to be able to make a difference, to speak that word of encouragement to somebody who needs to hear it, to be sharing my faith in a way that other people can see it lived out. I'm not encouraging my family the way that you would have me to. God, I may be in the right place, but I'm not viewing my life as fulfilling your purpose. And God, I need your help with that. I live my life to fulfill God's purpose because he says I am to be an offering. God, that I say I offer myself to you but it even goes one layer further because we're not only an offering but he also says we're a sacrifice sacrifice means that i take what i have and that i give it up to you i don't count it as my own anymore in fact i may even recognize that offering this sacrifice may mean a loss but god i give it to you because if i don't then how will you use me we must be willing to release what we have if God's gonna use us. We use this word sometimes in, in, in church settings, I don't hear it too many other places, where something is called temporal, meaning that it's temporary, that it's earthly, that it doesn't last forever. But oftentimes what we hold on to is what we can see, the temporal. And at some point, God would say, you have to release the temporal if you're gonna gain the eternal. If you wanna find eternal peace, if you wanna find eternal happiness, if you wanna find eternal purpose and value, then that may mean you have to release some of the temporal things that you want or that you think you want in order for him to work out the eternal in your life. Do you, do you, remember, the, do you remember the story of, uh, and we talked about this not too long ago, the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels, where Jesus is able to feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all he has, but he takes it and he works this miracle. What interesting, is interesting about that story is it's just a little boy's lunch. 
It's just his lunch that this kid's mom packed for him, and he, he took it out there with him when Jesus was preaching. He carried that. It was just a lunch until the kid was willing to sacrifice it and give it to Jesus. It would have been a whole lot easier for that kid to just hold on to it, to just say, hey, this is mine, to say, look, I'll, I'll be fine. Everybody else should have had their mom pack them a lunch. I'll be good. But instead, he sacrificed what he had. And at that point, it wasn't just a lunch anymore. Now it was a miracle. What are you hanging on to in your life that you're not releasing to God, that you're not willing to say, God, I'll give you my skills. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my resource. I'll give you my heart. God, I'll give this to you. And when I do, then I know that you have the potential to take what was just a lunch and turn it into a miracle. But recognize this, anything of value will cost me something. Anything of value If you want God to do something of value in your life, anything of value, it's gonna cost you something. So are you willing to say, Lord, I give you my family. I give you my business. I give you my education. I give you my relationships. Lord, I entrust that to you. I know it might cost me something, but you can't turn a lunch into a miracle until I'm willing to release it to you. Anything of value is gonna cost you something. I've got friends that have been willing to say, God, this is my life. I give it to you. It doesn't look like much. And then God's able to do extraordinary things through them. I know people who have just said, God, this is my business. I entrust it to you. I release it to you. And then not only does their business prosper, but man, the the kingdom prospers. Their soul prospers. Are are there things in your life that you've just been holding on to, even even to the point that you've got white knuckles around them? And as you go into a new year, it's time for you to say, God, it looks like just a lunch to me, but it's a miracle to you. I give it to you. But that's a sacrifice. Three questions good for us to consider. Am I following God's example? Am I acting in love? Am I living for God? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take those questions and use them to speak something to your heart. So let's do this. Would you you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, maybe you're watching Auditorium 2 or on a screen somewhere. And would you just take a moment Let me recap those questions for you. And before we walk out these doors, I, I want to give you a moment to, almost in a certain sense, have a physical response to God to say, God, I, I need to do something about this so that it's not just another new year. For some of you, when we talked about following God's example, you know that in this new year you want to be more like Jesus you want your life to reflect him in a way that uh, is, is deeper and more real than what it ever has been before and you would say God in this new year would you help me to follow your example if that's you would you just raise your hand I'll pray for you here in just a moment yeah thanks Lord I need to follow your example and then for others of us that, that question about love really hit home 
because our responses and our reactions have been based more on circumstance and not on the truth that God loved us first and so we love. And you would say, God, I need your help to give a love that is active and unconditional and sacrificial as I go into this year ahead. Help me to act in love. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, would you help me to, to, to be more loving? Yeah, thanks. Last question, God, may have just in these last few moments been doing some realignment in some of our hearts. Causing you to really ask the question, why do I do what I do? God, why? What's my purpose? And you want to confess this year, I am living my life for God. It is an offering that is given to him. I'm willing to sacrifice knowing that when I do, that's when he can work a miracle through my life. And if you'd say this year, I want to live my life for God like never before. Would you just raise your hand? That's you. God speaking to your heart. Yeah. Some of you, there's there's things that God's speaking very clearly about. Opportunities that are ahead. Choices you have to make. God, I want to live my life for you this year like never before. Father, you, you know us. Your word speaks to us. Holy Spirit, even now I know that you're You're stirring some things in people's hearts. You're preparing us for the things that you have ahead. Lord, you know that if in these moments we will um, do business with your Holy Spirit, it will prepare us for what you want to do in us and through us. So Lord, help us to follow your example, to get close enough and intimate enough with you that it changes who we are and how we see the world around us. God, would you help us in the year ahead to be people of love, actively, unconditionally, sacrificially, that we would show love to others? And God, would you help us to live our lives for you? And in all these things, we would realize the eternal value of what we do, that our lives are not our own, but that you, Lord, have bought us with the price and that we belong to you and that our lives would be lived for and given completely to you because it's in that, in that place of sacrifice that you can truly work a miracle in our lives. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.